time is flying by, weeks are flying by, we're less than a week away from the NFL Combine, but for now, it is Thursday and we are still in the offseason as we continue our positional reviews on the defense, staying with the secondary, moving over to the safeties. Welcome into another Strictly Stripes offseason podcast edition. Muhammad Ahmad and Mike Nizek with you on this Thursday night as Andrew Gillis gets a break until Friday when we round up all of our reviews with special teams. Later in the show, I'll be joined by ESPN Bengals reporter Ben Baby to talk about the secondary and other things we've talked about in this podcast involving free agency. But like we said, we're going to start with the safeties. And if you're starting with safety, uh, there's really no other place to start than Jesse Bates. We've already discussed it on this podcast. We all agree, and Andrew agreed that essentially his departure is almost inevitable at this point. He got the franchise tag last year. It's very unlikely the Bengals do it again because it'd be about $15 million, and I don't think the Bengals want to do that again after last year. So I think once free agency hits, he's going to walk, and he'll probably walk to a good amount of money no matter who signs him. But there's something I've seen in the last week that I've kind of wanted to wait to bring up until now, and that's ESPN uh, insider Field Yates. When it comes to his bold offseason predictions, he thinks the Bengals keep Jesse Bates. He acknowledges it'll be hard, and it's going to be tough, but he thinks it's going to happen. In his words, basically crazier things have happened, which he's not wrong about, but Mike, is Field Yates out of his mind, or does he just know something that you and I are completely oblivious to when it comes to Jesse Bates? Well, you're making bold predictions. I mean, obviously, that's something that's not necessarily likely that that could happen. I mean, I think I, don't, I you know, <laughs> it, did he not say he didn't say it was a long term deal? He just said he'd be back next year, right? That's what he said. I guess maybe he meant the franchise tag. Because yeah, so I'd imagine that he meant he meant that they do another franchise tag. I mean, obviously, uh, Jesse Bates, you know, held out uh, fall camp last year. Um, you know that that franchise tag is not something that uh, players obviously love to be under because, you know, you're playing, um, you know, you get a good amount of money for that one year, uh, but no long-term deal. Um, you know, you put yourself at risk essentially for injury. Um, it, you know, it's tough. So I think that would be probably the scenario that that could happen. I don't see them blocking him up to a long-term deal um, just given, you know, um, where he's at age-wise and, and how much money they would have to invest. Um, you know, I suppose there's obviously a chance just if they – you know, things fall into place and, you know, they get discounts from other guys. But I also think since it's a bold prediction, that means it's something that's probably unlikely uh, that I just, you know, I, I don't think that's the path that they pursue, especially since they drafted Dax Hill last year with the first round pick. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this is a, that's what we've talked about more in depth kind of whenever the season wrapped up a few weeks ago. But again, wish the, the best for Jesse Bates, I'm sure the Bengals feel the same way, but I think last year pretty much gave away that with Dax Hill coming, with the the holdout, with the franchise tag, you know, we've seen uh, the final chapter of Jesse Bates' Bengals career. But I want to actually get to one of our subtexters um, who we've actually been getting some subtexters who have been uh, engaging with us. And as I'm looking right here, one of our subtexters was saying that should Jesse Bates walk away, which again seems inevitable, the Bengals should pursue C.J. Gardner-Johnson, who played safety for the Philadelphia Eagles last year. That is very idealistic. Um, first of all, we can't really say that for sure because the Eagles could put the franchise tag on him. You know, kind of like Bates, he's a Pro Bowl, All-Pro safety. Not All-Pro, but Pro Bowl safety. He helped the Eagles get to the Super Bowl. I just 
don't think that even if they don't put the franchise tag on him, uh, which again, we don't know for sure, but they could put it on him at any point. I think that's kind of unlikely. And again, you've got Dax Hill, who we'll talk about later in the show. I just don't think the Bengals want to spend a lot of money at that position because, you know, you've already got other big decisions to make with Logan Wilson, T. Higgins. Joe Burrow's going to get a Brinks truck worth of money, you know, with how much he's going to get paid. So that is a uh, interesting scenario there. But uh, I think it was Shaquille Miller from North Carolina, Rutherfordton, North Carolina, saying if the Bengals can't afford to keep him, that he was down to sign C.J. Gardner-Johnson. Again, wishful thinking, but uh, if the Bengals could do that, then they might as well keep Jesse Bates at that point. But when we look at the other free agent uh, in the Bengals' safety room, of course, that's also another big name, and that is Von Bell. Uh, His deal, that was a contract year. His deal was three years, and he had his final year on his deal. Uh, 77 tackles, four for loss, four quarterback hits, so kind of like he was in New Orleans. He played a little bit in the box, just not as much as he was in Cincinnati. Had some game-winning plays against the Dolphins and uh, Patriots. Though there's two things I think that interest me with Bell. I mean, you can look at the big game-changing plays he had, like in those games I mentioned. But he's not quite that top 15 safety, like where Bates is, you know, top 15 and tackles among safeties, interceptions among safeties. Von Bell's more of a statistically kind of down-the-middle safety. So... Does that kind of make the argument that the Bengals don't have to pay as much for Von Bell? Or how much easier do you think it is for the Bengals to retain him and the likelihood of keeping him at that point? Well, he's 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 older, so, I mean, the uh, the years are going to be less and the dollar value will be less. Um, uh, SpotTrack estimates kind of a three-year, $30 million deal. Um, you know, that's $10 million a year, but could you front load that? Um, so then, you know, the last two years are... Uh, or last year, especially as a cuttable year, and you know you don't have to pay much. Uh, the cap hit is is much lower. They probably could afford uh, a little more this year. Uh, and but I think I think he's going to be just worth you know uh, overall money value uh, a lot less than a, than a Jesse Bates. You know because he's a veteran. And you know when you find some place that you like to play, uh, you find a defensive system you could thrive in. I think there's something to be said for uh, trying to keep that going. I mean he seems to. Uh, really like Lou Anarumo and credit him for kind of um, allowing him to play the kind of the game that he did in college um, and and the, what New Orleans kind of didn't see in him. And so I, I think that Von Bell's, you know, a more likely guy, you know, to come back because of all that. Um, you know, it's just a lot of less money overall when you're talking about the contract values between, you know, Bates and and Bell, probably Bell's half the overall value. Uh, and you could probably organize, you know, you can work that deal, um, you know, if you can get a team-friendly deal where, you know, you're not stuck with it in three years, you know, just in case. So I, I think that allows you more flexibility with your overall cap situation. And just, you know, Bates is not going to – you're not going to be able to do that on a four-year deal with Bates, five-year deal with Bates. Um, it, you know, it would just be tough, tougher to do. So I think that's why he's sort of looked at as the, the likelier guy, even though he's obviously, you know, closer to 30, a little older – um, but yeah, I, I think that, you know, he's, he's kind of, you know, you feel like he's, he'd come back and, you know, value from a market standpoint is subjective. It can fluctuate. It can change. But if we're looking at spot track, Von Bell is valued at just under $10 million a year, which makes sense because his base salary and his final contract year was, you know, just over $6 million. If you include signing bonuses and workout bonuses, it's about six and a half million, but, um, I think at the same time, though, that's like you said, it's still less money than Bates. I mean, Bates would want six, seven more million per year, and 
that's asking for a lot when you got other free agents who aren't even the names I mentioned, like, you know, not free agents now, but soon to be like Logan Wilson, T Higgins in a year and your free agents right now in this moment in time. Um, I think you can get a cheaper deal out of it. Maybe you can negotiate a little less, make it team friendly, like you said. Um, and I think the important thing for the Bengals is like, we've already said, and I'll keep saying it. I mean, Bates is going to be gone. And I think if that's going to be the case, you have to have Von Bell because We'll talk about Dax Hill in a minute, but you know you're gonna put Dax Hill in there. He mostly played as cornerback, like a slot corner when you know Jalen Davis and Mike Hilton got hurt. Played a very teeny tiny amount of snaps at safety. I mean, probably less than 50 snaps. So you know there's gonna be some growth there. Like you know we talked about Cam Taylor Britton, you know the ongoing learning lessons he had. It'll be a little different for Dax because he he knows the pace of an NFL game, but I mean there's still gonna be a lot he has to learn. Like he's gonna have to face a lot of safeties that he hasn't you know. Or, I'm sorry. It's been a long day. He's going to have to face receivers at safety that he hasn't faced already. So, I mean, to have someone like Von Bell next to a second-year player like Dak, so, I mean, do you think that makes it even more important to have someone like Von Bell at that point? Well, yeah, I think that, you know, you had two two veterans that had played alongside each other, were really savvy, um, and helped kind of, I think, at the back end when you had uh, Cam Taylor-Britt, um, you know, some of that inexperience up front. I think next year it's going to be important to have that veteran voice as well. Um, and then you're only really replacing one guy in that secondary because, um, if you you know, you projected out uh, Dax, Vaughn, Mike Hilton at nickel, and then, you know, Cam and Chidobia Wuzier. Um, you've got a nice combination, I think, of veterans um, and those young guys you drafted uh, last year. Um, they can kind of learn and kind of mesh. You know, Cam Taylor Britt basically got, you know, really almost a full season of experience in that 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 time he played. Even though he missed kind of fall camp and a month of practice, I mean, you know, getting the playoff. I mean, he's I, I think he's he's ready. Um, so you know, he steps in a little more experience than Dax Hill did. Dax Hill played the most he played was actually at nickel in that Tampa Bay game. I was looking at PFF, and I think he only played twenty snaps at free safety. I think we'll free him up, and he talked about this. Uh, the last day of the year, uh, kind of clean-out day, was knowing, you know, he basically switched positions every week in that second half of the season, um, you know, from backup corner to backup nickel, backup safety. And he said it was really hard, especially for a rookie. Um, you know, if they slot him in for Jesse Bates and he has a role and he can grow and learn, uh, I think you'll be able to see a guy that gains more confidence, feels more comfortable. Um, and, and so then if you pair him with Bell, I think that'll give him kind of a safety net as well. And I think the thing that makes Bell so special, even if he's not a top 15, 20, you know, safety when it comes to stats and numbers, I mean, you look at the impact he makes, you look at the veteran talent and experience, you know, with two different teams, including, you know, a team that was in the Super Bowl, you know, you know, just really over a year ago, um, that's going to be huge. And, um, you know, we'll talk more about what Dax Hill's progression can and should look like, but you want to have someone like Von Bell because, you know, like if Von Bell's closer to 30, we don't know how much he has left in the tank, but you get what you can out of him, especially when, you know, you want to groom and cultivate a guy like Dax Hill. I think that makes it even more important for the Bengals to keep him, no matter what kind of deal they come upon. But stay with us because, like we mentioned earlier, ESPN Bengals reporter Ben Baby joins me. We break down the Bengals' needs in free agency in the secondary, both at cornerback and safety. We look at the bigger picture of what the Bengals need to accomplish in this offseason going into 2023 and much, much more right here on the Strictly Stripes podcast. Hey there, it's Muhammad Ahmad from the Strictly Stripes podcast. 
You might be wondering, what exactly is Cincinnati Football Insider? Well, it's a community of fans who want the inside scoop on the Bengals and a direct connection to the Strictly Stripes podcast and the reporters who cover the team. And that would be me, Andrew Gillis, and Mike Nislick. It works like this. Andrew, Mike, and I will text your phone a few times a day with breaking news, analysis, and our insights on the Bengals. It's the inside scoop on what we're hearing, and we'll give you the inside word before it even hits social media. Being an insider is the best way to participate with the podcast and get in on special events and Zoom calls with me, Mike, and Andrew. And the best part is you can text us directly. It's a great way to cut through the clutter of Facebook, Twitter, other social media, and avoid the trolls for just $4.99 a month. Still not sure? Well, just try it for two weeks, and if you don't like it, you can text the word STOP at any time, but you won't want to cancel once you join the community of hardcore Bengals fans. Here's the best way to get on board. Go to cleveland.com slash Bengals, click on the blue banner at the top of the page, or if it's easier, text 513-940-4193. It's a great time to try the two weeks free, as we'll be reporting live from the NFL Combine in Indianapolis. Plus, we'll be covering free agency on the way to the NFL Draft in April. Give us a try for two weeks and see what you think. Just text this number again. It's 513-940-4193 and become an insider today. And welcome back into the Strictly Stripes podcast. Joining me is my special guest, ESPN Bengals reporter Ben Baby, who I was saying this to him just a few moments ago. Hard to believe I haven't seen him in almost a month since the season ended. Ben, how are you? How is the offseason? How have you been doing, my friend? It's been great, Mohammed. You know, it's been nice to kind of decompress a little bit after another long season. I guess we should start getting used to the Bengals going this deep. I'm trying to schedule some tea times, trying to catch up on some stuff around the house. This is what uh, the offseason is for. Yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, I can attest to that. I have enjoyed that myself. But there is still a lot to talk about, like you said, because I think it's fair to say we'll be getting used to this for a while. I mean, you were just at the Super Bowl last year. Then you and I were just at the AFC Championship, and who knows what's to come after. But, you know, if the Bengals want to stay competitive or be even more competitive, um, I think this is going to shape up to be one of the most, if not the most, uh, interesting off-seasons, you know, in recent history for this team. I think the first and foremost thing people will think about is, you know, Joe Burrow and his contract extension and, you know, what that looks like and how that plays out. But, you know, I've talked with Andrew about this and Mike about this, but, you know, other guys who are eligible for extensions, T. Higgins, Logan Wilson, is it possible to say the Bengals could ink Burrow and Wilson and Higgins to extensions this year? Or do you think one of them's going to have to wait besides Burrow next year? You know, I think that's the biggest question about this franchise moving forward. Because like you said, it's not just Joe Burrow in that 2020 draft class that the Bengals have to look at in terms of contract extensions. you got those top three picks that they had that year in Burrow, Higgins, and Logan Wilson. And I think that the market factors for all three of those guys, that's going to dictate what's going to happen for them moving forward. We all know that Burrow is going to command a lot of money. They have built the franchise around him. They've spent around him. That is what they've done really over the last couple of years. And it would shock nobody if Burrow ends up being the highest paid quarterback in the league uh, when you look at what he's done. I know that there's been a lot of chatter uh, from the players about Burrow taking team-friendly deals and things of that nature. But realistically, even when you get up into the range that you're looking at, you know, that's still going to be hard to keep everybody under the cap because the positions that we're really worried about, it's just one guy in particular, and that's really T. Higgins. because. When you look at the dynamics of the wide receiver position, 
That's what throws everything into flux for the Bengals. Because they have Jamar Chase, they will need to pay next year. And anybody who's seen what they have in Chase, they know that that's going to be a a position that they're going to have to address. They know the relationship between Burrow and Chase. Chase has been to the Pro Bowl in his first two seasons. And that market is really, really high after last offseason. So can you afford to pay Chase, Higgins, and Burrow, and Field a competitive roster? That's the big question. And so we'll see and we'll get a little bit of sense of how they feel that might go, given what happens with Higgins. So to me, it sounds like what you're saying, Ben, is, you know, they're going to obviously prioritize Burrow, but beyond that, it comes down to Chase and Higgins, and then maybe, you know, with respect to Logan Wilson, you know, his extension, if that happens, would kind of have to come after all of those guys are said and done. I, I think you could potentially, I think you would need to make a decision. You don't necessarily have to give an extension, but if you feel like you're going to make a decision basically on what you're going to do with T. Higgins and how much you think it's going to cost to sign Burrow and Chase, then you can see how much money you can allocate towards Logan Wilson's extension if you were to give one. And I think he's played really well. He's been battling injuries uh, the last couple of years. I think that when you look at what he did in that Super Bowl game, heck, had the Bengals won that game, I thought he had an MVP-like performance given how well uh, that defense played. And, and really, that was the reason Cincinnati almost won the Super Bowl. You know, Muhammad, it's actually hilarious. You know, talking about the offseason, you know it's bad whenever I had a dream last night that the Bengals actually won the Super Bowl, but there was the winning <laughs> – the winning player who caught the touchdown pass at the end was Michael Irvin. Don't ask me to explain it. My brain is totally in flux right now. But, you know, in the reality version of that, it wouldn't have been the offense or Michael Irvin who would have gotten the Bengals a Super Bowl. I think the defense has played really well. And for me, we've seen the Bengals spend a lot of money on this defense because they've had their offense on rookie deals over the last few years. The question is going to be how are they going to be able to – you know, build that defense long term without the money that they've spent because that's been a big reason why that group has been so successful. Well, Ben, I'm so glad you mentioned the defense because aside from Wilson, you know, the question is what do you do with Jermaine Pratt? What do you do with Jesse Bates, Von Bell? Like, those are your three biggest questions on defense. I mean, we've kind of talked about this on our podcast. It seems like Jesse Bates has given all the hints that. He's done as a Cincinnati Bengal. There could be a chance with Pratt, although we think that it seems unlikely. Maybe you feel the same way, but you know, someone like Von Bell, do you think that's a guy that they keep? Since we were, you know, we're talking about safeties earlier on this podcast with Mike Nislik, do you keep Von Bell? What does a deal like that kind of look like? And you know, with uh, Jesse Bates' seemingly unavoidable departure, how do you see kind of Dax Hill floating in there and kind of taking over? Which is why I think the Bengals drafted him for a situation like this. Yeah, you know, I think we saw whenever Jesse had his uh, contract situation with the franchise, that Dax is going to be that safety whenever he comes back. Uh, you know, I think giving him some reps there long term. You know, I, I'm actually writing about this for ESPN.com in terms of the future of that secondary. You know, Dax, we asked him and during locker room cleanout after the Bengals lost to Kansas City, and he said that you know it, he was it was almost a week to week basis as to where he felt like he was going to play, and it was hard for him to build confidence over the course of the season. And he never really was on the field all that much either. And so that's tough for a young player when you're not sure what you're doing. It's, it's a, you're trying to figure out new positions. And then you're also only on the field for a limited number of snaps. It's hard to really build confidence. I think we feel that in any job, you know, if you're only able to do it a limited amount of time, 
uh, it's hard to really feel good that that you're doing a good job. And I think that that kind of applies to Dax. And so now with him getting the reins at that free safety position, I think that's going to be interesting. You see, uh, you know, Cam Taylor Britt really played well. I've I've been critical of Cam over the uh, over the time early on. I thought he kind of did struggle, and he admits. He did as well, and then as the year went on, I thought he got better. I think the one thing I'd like to see from him is being able to track the ball a little bit better in the air and show those ball skills that the Bengals really loved when he was coming out of Nebraska. But, you know, I think Vaughn, the price point for him should be a bit more manageable. You know, he will be, I think, and having a veteran in that room for at least another season, having that mix with Chidabe Wouzier and, and Bell and then potentially Mike Hilton, and uh, and Cam and Dax, that's a good mix of young players, veterans, and, and a group that can grow. And ultimately, you want to hand the reins off from uh, the veterans to Dax and Cam. And then don't forget Tyson Anderson. We'll see right. what he has, what he brings to the table as a potential box safety. Uh, he's someone who was on a redshirt year, essentially, last year. So I think when you look at that 2022 draft class, it was built in mind, like you said, gearing up to get ready for 2023. And so with 2023, you also look at the fact that, you know, in the secondary, you've got three quarterbacks who will be free agents, Jalen Davis, Eli Apple kind of headlining that and Trey Flowers. I asked Andrew Gillis this yesterday. I want to kind of ask you out of those three, who do you see not staying and why? Uh, I think without a doubt, it's got to be Eli Apple. Uh, and it's not it's not a knock on Eli. I think that it just makes sense when you look at where he's at at this point in his career. You know, I think Eli has shown that he can be a starting quarterback. Uh, given given how polarizing he is, there's a lot of opinions about Eli. But I think that when you look at some of the other corners around the league and what Eli's done, I think Eli can be a starter for a team. And I think that if you're Eli and you look at the market uh, uh, elsewhere, you know, it's it's one thing to take a one year contract and be a starter. It's another thing to take a one-year contract and be a backup. And if he comes back to Cincinnati on a one-year deal, you have to wonder, is he coming as a reserve or is he coming as a starter? You know, when he came to Cincinnati, it wasn't with the expectation initially that he was going to start because you have to remember they had Chidabe Awuzie, they signed in that same free agency class, and they also had Trey Waynes, who at the time was one of their most expensive signings really in franchise history. And so they weren't expecting the Waynes deal to bust as much as it did. And when that happened, then Eli Apple stepped in, and he's been a good starter for them. And so I think when you look at it, the market can, you know, I would expect the market for them, uh, Eli, to, you know, it'd be a win win for both sides to essentially part ways. And we'll see what the Bengals have in Cam Taylor Britt. And then Eli will have a chance to go make, you know, pr- you know, potentially one of the last paydays of his career when you look at how old he is, when you look at how the, the you know, lifespan of a corner is, especially in the modern NFL. You know, I would imagine this is probably going to be his best chance to make a little bit more money while he's still in the league. What about Trey Flowers? Because it seems like his market value, at least according to, you know, places like Spot Track, they kind of have him at the same range as Eli Apple. I think, you know, Flowers, with respect to him, not a knock on him, I think he played a little inconsistent. He got a little hot towards the end of the year. But do you think, you know, again, with, I like to call this the Joe Burrow contract extension era, when you're in an era where all these signings are scrutinized in terms of where you spend and where you allocate resources, is it maybe a stretch to give that guy that much money for another deal? Yeah, you know, that's going to be, like you said, that, that when you're in the Joe Burrow contract era and that salary cap window is just a lot more shrunk, you have to be more judicious on what you can spend. 
And so I, I think that it depends on what the market will look like for flowers. Obviously, there's going to be a lot of projections, but all of that can change the second that we get into the uh, negotiating window here in a couple of weeks. We really see what the market's going to look like. And, and yes, we expect, I think internally, they expect the, the salary cap to increase like it has, you know, with new uh, television contracts hitting the books with, you know, so there will be more money than, you know, the, the numbers that we see on the cap now that will eventually grow, but the percentages against the cap, that's what we really need to look at. Not the actual total values of the contract, but the actual percentages that each contract takes of the salary cap. I don't expect those allocations to change because the ratios will shift as the cap shifts as well. And when you look at Trey Flowers and what you would be spending on, you're essentially spending on a situational dime cornerback because in a nickel sense, he would not be on the field. He's only on the field in dime packages or in uh, you know, specific heavy packages. And I, I think that that's something where you, you look at it and you go, is that worth the money? And for Trey, you know, can he command more money somewhere else? So I think it's all going to come down to, you know, just the economics of it once we get into the free agency. Money, 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 money. That's what it all comes down to. And just to kind of wrap up, Ben, because I really appreciate your time. Um, I know you got to get going here soon, but just to kind of wrap up, as far as free agency goes, you know, the NFL draft will be at the combine next week. So we're kind of getting more into the, you know, these kinds of conversations with free agency being really just three weeks away. But, you know, for the secondary safeties and cornerbacks as a whole, you know, how could you potentially see the Bengals maybe targeting those positions in free agency or the draft? Are there some names that stick out to you that the Bengals should entertain or think about, just depending on, you know, what happens with Eli or Jalen or Trey or other free agents they have, like obviously Jesse Bates? Yeah, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the draft and seeing what, what positions available. Do they end up going with a corner? Do they go tight end? Do they go offensive tackle? I think when we're going to be in Indy and, and, and in the prime of combine season, uh, we're going to figure that out and see kind of maybe get a sense of where the Bengals are leaning in terms of, you know, what they feel like is the best approach for them in the draft. In terms of free agency, you know, that's really hard to say. I, I think that when you're looking at it, depth is probably the biggest factor because right now, you know, you're going to need to bank on those rookies that you have drafted in 2022 and get most bang for your buck and see what you can get. You know, obviously Burroughs contract, if they structure it the right way, probably doesn't hit the cap really hard for another couple of years. That's what we've seen with Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes' contract. But that being said, you do have to be mindful. Maybe you do have money. If you have money, do you go out and splurge maybe on the offensive line, which they – quite honestly, didn't really do. You know, the one player that they spent a lot of money on, on that offensive line, Alex Kappa, we saw how good he was. And so if you're the Bengals, you go, why not? If you feel like this is going to be your window, if they feel like they're going to keep T. Higgins, why not go spend, you know, $11, $12 million on an offensive tackle, bring him in and say, you know what, let's get this line as good as we can look at it for one year and then we'll address it moving forward. So I think that's going to be the question. How aggressive do the Bengals want to be? And really, how do they feel like these economics move forward? I know I said that would be my last question, but since you bring up the offensive line, I, this reminded me, and I didn't want to ask, you know, with Lyle Collins, there's talk about, you know, he's almost 30. He struggled with back issues. He rested during the week, at, at least every day during the week during the season. Um, and he could be a big cap casualty. They could save about $6, 7000000 million if they release him. Um, would you be shocked if the Bengals did that, or is that – you know, something that wouldn't shock you if they end up releasing him to save money. Yeah, 
I don't have any good internal feels on whether they're going to get rid of Lyle Collins or not. And I'm pulling up his contract right now because, you know, like you said, that is interesting. Uh, you know, our, our roster management system has the same thing y'all have that, you know, his dead money goes down to 3.3 million. His cap saving goes up to six and you would really only be on the hook for one more year. Uh, if you're going to cut him this year, as opposed to next year, not that big of a difference. The dead money, you know, gets cut in half, but, I think that it's going to be a, um, you know, the, the fact that he suffered his injury so late in the year and you look at the timetable, you know, when can he feasibly be back? That's going to be the question because essentially now you're paying an extra year for a guy who's not going to see the field. And so it would make more sense that if you are going to, you know, cut somebody, uh, you know, maybe give one player uh, one year $6 million guaranteed and just say, all right, you know what, we're just going to have you come in. Do you know? See what we can get and move forward. That right tackle position, ever since I've been here, has been a complete revolving door. When you look right. at it, you know, when I got here, it was Cordy Glenn and that whole saga. Uh, then you had, you know, Riley Reef, and now you have, you know, Lyle Collins. They just have not been able to find that stability. So, you know, whether it be somebody in free agency or the draft, I think finding a long term solution at right tackle is going to be paramount for this team. Absolutely. Well said, Ben. Never enough time with you. But again, that is ESPN uh, Bengals reporter Ben Baby. You can follow him at Twitter at Ben underscore Baby. Uh, one of my favorite people on the beat, someone I've gotten to know really well, um, you know, even off the field. So, Ben, thank you so much for your time and I uh, can't wait to see you soon in Indy. Yeah, Muhammad, can't wait to link soon. Thanks for having me. Likewise. Don't go away. We'll be right back on the Strictly Stripes podcast. And thanks for staying with us on the Strictly Stripes podcast. So, Mike, I was talking to Ben Baby, and uh, he was kind of joking with me. I think one of the things he said was that was that he was very critical of Cam Taylor Britt during the year. And, you know, Andrew and I kind of talked about this, but I wanted to talk to you about it because, you know, you followed Cam Taylor Britt and wrote a lot about him this year. I guess what impressed you the most about his growth and maturity? Because, you know, there's a lot of learning lessons he had. You know, even in his first game against Cleveland where he had to come in for Chido Awozie, you know, Luan Arumo told him don't do it again when he, you know, blew a coverage pass on uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones. What really stood out to you about Cam Taylor-Britt, and what does his ceiling look like going into his second year where he seems to be a surefire starter, you know, no matter what happens with Eli Apple in free agency? Well, I think his confidence level, just that he stepped into a situation, you know, he went two weeks removed from being a scout team quarterback, uh, replicating what Lamar Jackson brings to starting and sort of never blinked, uh, you know, made mistakes throughout the year um, as a rookie would and, you know, never sort of uh, has had never sort of bowed down, never got discouraged, um, you know, really threw himself into like tackling in the run game, really physical. So, when he'd make a mistake in the passing game, he'd usually get it back. Um, and you saw the coaching staff, I think, really like not only his you know, his skill set, which is why they drafted him, but that attitude. And I think it earned him a lot of respect in the locker room. I think it allowed him to fit in with the veterans. And I, I think that stayed the course throughout the year. And so when you saw in the postseason when he was playing his best football, I mean, he it was really something because, you know, he had that, that confidence was there and he was, and he was playing – uh, to back it up. You know, I, I don't think he was there yet early in the season just because how could you be? You know, he, he sat out fall camp with that abdominal injury, missed a month of practice, um, but just really impressive makeup for a young player to sort of have that attitude, um, and not in a kind of a cocky way, but just sort of, you know, believing in himself that he'd get it right. And so, and he did. And and the coaching staff, I think, really liked that about him. 
And, it, you know, just impressive for somebody of his age with his experience to be able to ride that fine line and, and you know, it, it paid off for him. So on that same note, and that's very well said, and I think Andrew said something along those same lines, and I agree with all of that, but kind of flipping it back to Dax Hill, we talked a little bit about him and what it would be like if he had Von Bell by his side, assuming, you know, Von Bell comes back in free agency. But to kind of zoom in more on Dax Hill, like you said, he mostly played the slot um, whenever Jalen Davis or Mike Hilton were hurt. Um, to be exact, he played 44 snaps at safety. He actually started a game against the Jets, but that was because of a package they ran. They put Bates in pretty much right after that first or second play, so he didn't really play much at safety. There are some moments that stood out. Like if you look at that Saints game um, on that final play from Andy Dalton, you know, where he heaves the ball in the end zone, him and Eli Apple break up that pass, and that was one of Dax Hill's few snaps, but he made a count. Um, again, I think that showed off a lot of the athleticism that got the Bengals to draft him in the first round last year. Again, the only concerns I have are, you know, how is he going to respond to those, you know, wide receivers who go deep? Like if, you know, he's got to, you know, play cover two or cover eight, he's got to go deep and cover a guy. I mean, you know, what's that going to be like? You know, what does the learning cliff look like? And then, you know, I struggle. I think he struggled a little bit on special teams too. I don't know what the Bengals would do with him in that sense next year. Maybe they still use him on special teams, but he mostly played special teams, you know, even when he, he wasn't playing on defense and, I think it was the uh, playoff game against Baltimore. He had like two penalties on the kickoff returns because he had, there was one game where he had two or three penalties. Is that right, it, Mike? Yeah, I'm, I, I'm trying to look that up. Um, he did, I think he had find that. Or like, at least two, might have even been three. Yeah, no, he had a lot of, he was penalized quite a bit on uh, special teams. Uh, but it's, you know, it's a learning process, uh, you know, and, and I think, there's going to be some growing pains early, you know, like Cam Taylor Britt went through uh, when he's a starter, you know, and that, I think that's to be expected. Um, but, you know, like you said, there are positives to take from that from that first year, just that, you know, um, when he was called upon and that sort of those limited actions, there were plays to be had. And so uh, I think that that's encouraging and I think that's what he'll try to build on. Um, and, and like I said, I think once he gets comfortable um, you'll see that he had two penalties in the wild card round against Baltimore. That's that right. That's right. Um, and he had and he had uh, four overall on special teams. So not ideal. Yeah. Um, but he might not be asked as much to do as much on there because you know you want to lighten his plate a little bit to be ready for playing defense full time. Um, but I, I think yeah they're they're gonna throw a lot more on his plate at, at but at one position. So I think he'll be able to get more comfortable with it. And I think that's the key for somebody like him where you know he felt a little. Um, out of sorts at times with just how much they were throwing at him and things changing in the middle of the week. You know, he admitted it. It was, it was not easy. And I, and I think it's okay for a rookie to admit, I mean, you know, you know, he played his best. He, he, you know, he didn't like shrink in the moment, but you know, to say it just, it just wasn't, um, you know, it wasn't an easy rookie year just because of, you know, the, the situation he was thrown into. And I think, like you said, I mean, if, you know, Jesse Bates wasn't there this year or, like, Jesse Bates leaves and next year is his first year, then, yeah, like, you, I would be concerned. But at the same time, like you said, you're going to make mistakes. It's a growing process. And I'm sure he's going to watch the film in the off season when he gets back into the stadium, whenever you know, the Bengals get back into, you know, practicing in a few months. Like, he'll, he'll remember those moments and he'll learn from them and he'll get better. Um, and I think he will step up. How much of a drop-off will there be? It's hard to say, but, I mean, you go from one of the top-valued safeties in the league to, you know, a first-round pick in the second year, there's going to be some drop-off, but I think he'll catch up in a matter of time. Um, but, of course, that also means if you lose Jesse Bates, which, again, I think we will keep saying over and over again, like, it hasn't officially happened, but it's 
pretty much going to happen. That leaves you with at least one opening uh, from that from a depth standpoint at safety because besides that, you have Tyson Anderson, who you could say like redshirted pretty much because he suffered a uh, it was an injury, I believe, in the preseason, and he just uh, did not play for the rest of the year at that point. You had Brandon Wilson, who is a veteran who's been there for actually as long as Joe Mixon's been there since 2017, but he hasn't pretty much played since he tore his ACL in the second half of the 2021 season because he got hurt again in the preseason, just like Anderson. So um, you didn't really have much depth there other than basically Michael Thomas, who you know is going to be 33 this year. I was on a one-year deal. Mostly played special teams, a very valuable voice in the locker room, was a team captain. They could bring him back. I think it's possible. I wouldn't be shocked if they don't. But, I mean, if he doesn't come back, then you have two openings. At the very least, you have one. You could have two uh, at the safety position. And there's some names I think you could look at that are kind of interesting if you're really looking for some depth. Um, and this is a name I've heard tossed around a lot, and I have mixed feelings about this. And that's Juan Thornhill, uh, who played safety for the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, last year, won a Super Bowl with them. He's you know gone against the Bengals a good bit, so he knows a lot about them. He's about 27 years old. I mean, he'd be a cheap acquisition, I think. He only made about uh, $1.1 last year in his final year in Kansas City. Who knows if the Chiefs bring him back, but if they don't, I mean, he's there for the taking. Are there any other names that stick out from a free agency standpoint besides you know Thornhill or you know other guys that you think the Bengals should consider? Yeah, I was kind of looking at when I did a mock draft the other day, uh, not not free agents, but the, with the draft in that second round, um, I think it was Sidney Brown, the Illinois safety, uh, was up there, and he was kind of that, yep. that was his spot. And it's like you know, it crosses your mind that you know, do you do you kind of try to address the depth that you would like a little other high pick there? Is that too much at safety? Um, you know, if you did that, you know, you're kind of projecting to try to maybe uh, you know plan for Von Bell's departure eventually so it kind of makes sense that maybe they do um do that um you know some something like that instead of a veteran um but you know i think a veteran like a Thornhill would kind of fit the bill of what they're looking for somebody that could fill in if Dax Hill is struggling or if there's an injury um you probably want a guy with positional flexibility that could play both spots just because you probably don't have enough money to invest uh, you know, and two guys that are realistic options that could play. So I, I think the versatility will be kind of key in, in who they look at if they get a veteran. And, um, but, you know, I, I think it's possible they look at it and say we need to kind of plan for the future a little bit. Let's, you know, invest one more draft pick to try to, uh, you know, pair Dax Hill up with somebody that would be very complimentary in terms of, you know, their skill sets. Um, so I, I think it'll be interesting to see. Um, what they do, I think, the, you know, Von Bell's price tag might help dictate what they are able to kind of afford there. Um, but, yeah, they need some help, you know, obviously to round out the room. Same thing with corner, where I'm sure you guys talked about it last night, where they probably need somebody that could, you know, play nickel and, and back up, uh, be a backup corner. Um, so I, I, they're mostly looking for depth sort of in the secondary, um, you know, not looking for a, a top-tier guy that breaks the bank with somebody that they can get out of modest contract and a, and a rookie certainly fits that bill. Yeah. And that's why I was thinking, you know, like someone like a CJ Gardner Johnson is just, that's going to be a tough pickup because, you know, he's going to probably get paid whether it's by the franchise tag or another team picks him up. And so, I mean, you've got Thornhill. If you look at some of the other veterans who are kind of around that price tag, you got Deshaun Gibson, who's a lot older. I mean, he's been in the league for a while. He just played with San Francisco was in Cleveland before that. Um, you got Sean Chandler in uh, Carolina. 
uh, Carl Joseph. I mean, he's more of a strong safety. But again, if you're looking for just depth at that point, I mean, I think there's no shame in that. Um, yeah, there's some different options there. I think you could definitely look at those. And then, you know, from a draft standpoint, you mentioned uh, Sidney Brown. It's funny because his brother, Chase Brown, I think was one guy that turned heads at the Senior Bowl. That's a running back candidate the Bengals should keep their eyes on. And I'll talk more about that later as we get closer to the combine because we'll, you know, we'll be there. But, yeah, I think, you know, you've also got like a Brandon Joseph from Notre Dame, a really good coverage player, Ronnie Hickman from Ohio State. Um, someone that Jim Knowles, defensive coordinator, uh, had a lot of high praise for. Kind of played like a linebacker safety role. So think of like Jeremiah Awusu-Koromoa with Cleveland. That'd be a guy like that. But I don't know if the Bengals want that since you kind of have Von Bell who fits that bill. Trey Dean, I mean, being an SEC guy, played for Florida, similar mold. There's some options there. And I mean, you could get one of them late too, you know, because I think earlier in the draft, they're not going to focus on, you know, safety. If they focus in the corner, uh, in the secondary, it'd have to be at the cornerback position, but that's contingent on how free agency goes. But you got options. Uh, you got a lot of options there, like Jack Carlos said in one of my favorite songs. But yeah, we're going to have to see kind of how that plays out. And if Michael Thomas stays or goes, determines how much depth you need. But that's all the time we have for tonight. Stay with us because the gang will be back at it tomorrow as we round up all of our positional previews with special teams a group that's having quite the transition right now, and we'll explain why. And plus, we get a little bit of a teaser slash sneak peek into next week's Combine, mention some names, more names to watch, and what is going to be most interesting about the Combine. But once again, for myself and Mike Isaac, I'm Muhammad Ahmad. Have a great Thursday night.